0: Thrive Church Online. My name is Kathy and I'm your online host for today. If you are new to Thrive, you are a VIP guest. So text NEW to 604-285-5770 and we will mail you your very own Thrive stainless steel water bottle. Parents with kids, are your kids always complaining that they're bored? And are you running out of ideas to keep them occupied? Go to mythrive.info slash online to download the Thrive Kids activity. We love a proactive church, so let us know you are ready by messaging your favorite emoji, saying, I'm ready, or turning to your virtual neighbors, giving them an air high five and ask them, are you ready? We would love to see your beautiful faces. So take a selfie of yourself watching today's service, posting it to your social media using the hashtag DriveChurchOnline. Now I'm going to pass the time over to Pastor JB. See you later.
1: Well, hello everybody and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB, I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive. It gives you great pleasure to welcome you to an amazing Sunday as we worship Jesus together. We have a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just who, it's not not, not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you just in your chat rooms right now, would you welcome one another? Would you just say to one another, it's great to see you here today. Welcome everybody. If you are sitting beside someone that's watching the service with you today, would you give them an air high five, an air hug, or if it's appropriate, a real hug, and just tell them it's so good to be here with you today. I want you to welcome one another to church this morning, this evening, this afternoon, wherever you might be watching this service today around the world. It's so great to have you here at Thrive Church today. And hey, by the way, if you are new to Thrive, you are what we call our VIP. Everyone say Our VIP. And we especially want to welcome you. And so we, what we want to do is we want to let you know there's actually a special gift we want to give just for you just to say we're so glad that you joined us here at Thrive Today. It's a special stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle that has got your name on it. And we'd love to give that to you. If you could text us at new at 604-285-5770 or you can go to mythrive.info and there there's a new to Thrive button. If you would go there and just let us know your email email address we would love to send you your very own gift just to say thank you so much for joining us today can we welcome in our chat rooms all of our first-time guests this morning this evening this afternoon we just tell them welcome to vips welcome first-time guests let's welcome another church today amazing you guys are a beautiful church inside and out i hope you've had a good week have you had a good week I've had a really good week. There's been some ups and downs, but it's been an awesome week overall. And you know, for me, a highlight was that I finally got my haircut. I don't know if you noticed. I got my haircut. I can finally see my ears again. Praise God. It's a good day. And uh, if you're wondering where did I get my haircut, how did I get my haircut? Well, a big thank you to my new hairstylist. Her name is my wife, Pastor Charlene. That's right. Thank you so much, my wife. Uh, And uh, uh, she doesn't just cut my hair, but she also cut my son's hair as well. Uh, And uh, and let me show you some pictures, actually. This is uh, me before the haircut, um, looking a little bit timid, because I'm not really sure what to expect. I've got a T-shirt on that says, Live the Adventure. It's certainly an adventure when you get your wife to cut your hair for the very first time. Uh, But this is a picture of her actually doing it. She did an amazing job. See, see, I I still look a little bit unconvinced, right? But look at the the next one. Next one, look at that. Look at the smile on my face. Look at my ears. I can see my ears again. Oh my goodness! Thank God! Hallelujah. Thank God I can see my ears again. And so I think she did an amazing job. What do you guys think? You guys think she did a good job? I think she did an amazing job. In your chat rooms, you can just say, hey, Pastor Shark, great job. Pastor Shark, can I get one too? I'm kidding. Don't don't ask her that. But the fact is, uh, so thankful to get my hair cut. That was a highlight. But you know what? It was an even bigger highlight this past week. Let me tell you what an even bigger highlight for me this past week was. It was our Easter services last Easter weekend. Wasn't it an incredible time? Oh, my goodness. We had four services. Our first time ever to do four services. We had over 500 500- People from different parts of the world joining us for the service. 500 people doesn't include groups that watch the service together, it doesn't include children, but we had at least 500 unique IP addresses, if you will, that were coming in to watch and tune into our services. Not just that, but really cool is we saw over our four services, 45 people indicate that they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand for that. That's an amazing thing. So, so happy about that. And on top of that, we raised a total of $12,165 for Backpack Buddies to help hungry children in our city who don't have meals to eat. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand through this place right now. God is good, and you guys are awesome. You know, we set a goal of $5,000, and you guys more than doubled that. We are so incredibly proud of you guys, Thrive Church. What a generous, selfless, giving church you guys are. In a time when whenever you go on the radio, people are asking for help. You guys gave help. And I'm just so incredibly proud of you. Pastor Shar is incredibly proud of you. We are all so incredibly thankful to every single person who gave to this Backpack Buddies initiative. And here's believing that because you gave, that many children in our city are going to have the help that they need. And because you gave, not only are their needs going to be met, but God is going to meet your needs as well. If you believe that, say amen. Super proud of our very generous church. You guys are awesome. Well, I am really, really excited today to bring a message to you that I think is going to be extremely powerful. And I want to tell you today, because we're uh, doing something brand new here at Thrive, Uh, we're starting a brand new series, why don't you help me get ready for that right now by getting your Bibles right now. And uh, maybe there's a paper Bible like mine, maybe it's a device you download a phone into, either way is cool. Why don't you hold up the Bible like so? This is just a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's cool, but let's say this together in a big, loud voice to get our hearts ready for the message today. Let's say it out loud. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's Word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's Word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, today, we are starting a brand new series here at Thrive, it is called Exodus, Hope for Hard Times. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, we are so incredibly thrilled that you're here. We hope that you'll find that Thrive play, Thrive Church is a safe place for you to be, where you can just be yourself and you can explore maybe some questions that are on your heart. Uh, if you are familiar with the Exodus story, then I hope that this series is going to help you have a new perspective on the book of Exodus and that hopefully you're going to find less lessons through this series we're doing on Exodus that you've never thought about before. And for all of us, I hope that what's going to happen as a result of this series, as we look at the book of Exodus, is that you're going to find that the Bible is not simply an old book. It's relevant for our times. In this book, we can find hope for our times, hope for hard times. And so that's why we're doing this series called Exodus, Hope for Hard Times. And you know, if you're here and you've got questions about faith, about God, about Christianity, if you've got questions like, how do I know there's a God? How do I know that you can trust this Bible that you guys read, I want to encourage you not just to check out this series we're doing today, starting with this th- this 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 message today called Exodus, Hope for Hard Times, but I encourage you to go to mythrob.info and check out another series called Overcome My Unbelief. It's where you can explore a lot of the most common questions people have about the Christian faith. But today we're starting this brand new series, Exodus, Hope for Hard Times, and over the next several Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus together. But it's not just on Sunday is we're going to do. It. We're actually going to do it every day. Everyone say every day. It's because we really believe that God made you for a relationship with him, not just on Sundays, but every day. And so if you're comfortable with the idea, if you're up for it, I want to encourage you, don't just join us here on Sundays, but try to make it a point to read a little bit of the book of Exodus every day. And in fact, we're doing that together as a church right now. We have something called our game time. The game stands for, if you know it, say it with me, it stands for the God and me experience. And what that means is that every day we're reading a little bit of the Bible. In this case, the book of Exodus, and I will share a little bit about what I'm learning in that passage, and you have an opportunity to share yours as well. And if you want to subscribe for my daily game sharings, that will give you an in on what passages we're looking at each day and some lessons that we can learn from it. We're going to be excited to go into this series called Exodus Hope for Hard Times. You're going to find this, is that the story of Exodus is one of the most famous, most fascinating stories ever told. So much so that you'll find that Hollywood has done a number of versions of this story. Of course, you've got back in 1998 the hugely successful animated film called The Prince of Egypt. Remember the song that comes with that movie? You remember that? It's, there can be miracles when you believe, when you believe. That's Whitney Houston for you. Yet again, Whitney Houston. That's enough of Whitney Houston from me these past two weeks. There's that. There's also more recently in 2014, the movie Exodus God and Kings starring Christian Bale as Moses. And I don't know if you know Christian Bale Christian Bale, one of my favorite actors. He is a great actor, and I find, you know, I loved him in The Dark Knight, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I loved him in Ford vs. Ferrari, I don't, although I couldn't really understand what he was saying because of his accent. Uh, but if you're looking for a good movie that tells the, the exodus story in an interesting way from an entertainment perspective— I actually wouldn't recommend this movie. Actually, I'd recommend another movie, and that is this one. I find that this movie does the best job of bringing the Exodus story to life. It is the 1956 Academy Award-winning film, The Ten Commandments. See, I used to have this bias against old movies. Did you ever bias like that before? Where, you know, you think, oh, because it's old, it's not as good as the new. It doesn't have as good effects. The quality's not as good. And maybe you'll think, oh, yeah, you know, new, like, you know, modern, you know, 21st century people are prettier than people from the 20- 20th century, you know what, you know, this is one of the examples where that is absolutely not the case. That, that, you know, I used to have that bias, this movie blew that bias out of the water when I watched it years ago. And this is the thing: the Ten Commandments really brings to life some of the very complicated emotional layers in the story of Exodus that you might not otherwise notice. You've got Charlton Heston. Uh, you know, we've got a picture of him as Moses. Uh, we've got Yul Brenner, who is uh, also uh, in it as the Pharaoh. They both do an amazing job in their roles. The people in this film are all so good-looking. Look, look at look at Yul Brenner and his pecs. Look at that. Oh my goodness! Pharaoh and his pecs. Look at that. And see, and it's one of those where it's no wonder that this movie, The Ten Commandments, is one of the top ten Highest grossing and most successful films of all time. And so if you've never seen this movie, it's worth taking a look. This movie has a very interesting take, in fact, on how Moses realizes that he's actually not Israelite. He's actually not Egyptian. He's actually Israelite. And it's a very interesting take. It's a long movie. It's about maybe three hours and 40 minutes. And I didn't sit sit through the first time all in one. I actually watched it over two nights. Maybe we'll have a watch party one night. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be kind of cool. But see, I want to encourage you. As we go into Exodus, hope for hard times, to start to get into the world of Exodus. Maybe it's whether it's to start reading the book of Exodus on your own or maybe even watching the movie. I think the more you do that, the more you're going to get acclimated to what we're going to be learning from the book of Exodus together. And so let's look at the book of Exodus right now. See, we're going to start today at Exodus 4, verse 18. Exodus 4, verse 18. And since I don't have three hours to show you a movie, I want to really quickly recap for you. What has happened up to Exodus 4, verse 18? See, what's happened so far is this, is that at the end of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, you've got a guy called Joseph. I want to say Joseph. Joseph. And see, Joseph, he's an Israelite. He's also the prime minister of Egypt. And he has just helped the nation of Egypt in a time of famine, the greatest famine that has ever hit that region. And in that time, he's helped the the nation of Egypt to to really kind of salvage the the, the resource that they have. And in that time, Joseph's own family, which are called the Israelites, they are living in the land of Egypt. They're treated well because of Joseph. They're in fact flourishing. They're thriving. They're, they're, They're getting more and more of them, but the, B- the Bible says that when Joseph dies, when his brothers die, when his whole generation dies, the king of Egypt forgets about Joseph, and he all of a sudden becomes extremely concerned and fearful of the Israelites that are in the land, because there's so many of them. And the king of Egypt, himself, thinks to himself, there are so many of these Israelites that one day, if there's a foreign nation that comes and attacks our country, Egypt, these Israelites could easily side with that foreign nation, and that's the end of our country. And so they're like, we can't have that happen. And so out of fear, the king of Egypt decides, I'm gonna make all the Israelites slaves in the nation of Egypt. And so all of a sudden, these Israelites that once were thriving and prospering, they are now slaves in the country of Egypt. Yet Exodus 112 says something very interesting. Look at Exodus 112 with me. What does it say? It says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. See, in other words, the more the Egyptian rulers oppressed the Israelites as slaves, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And I believe there's a lesson there for us. And what is that? Is that when you go through hard times, don't see your hard times as a reason to be destroyed, but see your hard times as a reason to grow. See that when you go through hard times, see those hard times, not as a, not as a gravestone marking your death. See those hard times as a stepping stone to your destiny. Amen. You know, Romans 5, 3 to 4 says it this way. It says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, what does that tell you? It tells you that hope is not just a feeling. Hope is the product of a process where it begins with going through suffering, tough times, hard times, but then you learn to persevere. And after you persevere, you start to change in your character, you get stronger as a a person in your character. And at the end of that process, it's something called hope. And so if you're going through suffering today, know this, you can't have hope without suffering. And so if you're going through a hard time today, let me tell you this, hope is on the way. If you would just persevere, if you would learn to develop godly character in this time, hope is going to be a byproduct of that entire process. And that's what happened with the Israelites. And see, this continues on for 400 years. For 400 years, the Israelites are slaves under the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And see, Pharaoh decides that, you know what? You guys are still growing. we got to put an end to this. So you know what he does? He decides to write into law. A policy of infanticide which means that from now on every male baby Israelite boy would need to be killed immediately by throwing the baby into the Nile River and you know in this very heated political climate there's a couple an Israelite couple from the Israelite tribe of Levi and they in this time give birth to a son and of course the mom doesn't want to lose the son and so she decides to hide him in her home for three months but after three months when the cries are getting too loud and it's too hard to hide it's too obvious now that there's a baby in the home she decides when she can no longer hide him in the home she's going to do something different you know what she's going to do she grabs a basket in hebrew it's called a teba, or otherwise known as an ark and what she does she takes this basket she camouflages the basket with tar and pitch and makes it look like part of the riverbank and then what she does she takes her baby boy she puts him into that basket and then she sets it by the riverbank what is she doing she's not pushing the baby away like some books and movies will say, oh, goodbye, baby boy, goodbye. That's not what she's doing. What she's doing is this. She's hiding him outside the home so that she can still be as close to him as possible. And so, what she's, she's gotten to the riverbank under the reeds. Hopefully, people won't hear his cry because of the basket, because of the, the water and the noise that, that it's making. And then she would go to her slave labor and work all day as a slave. And at the end of the day, she'd go into the reeds. She'd pick up the baby boy from this basket. She'd be sitting in the reeds, hiding when no one was watching. And she'd be playing with the baby. She'd be nursing the baby. She'd be feeding the baby. She'd be cooing the baby. She'd be comforting the baby. She'd kiss the baby. And she'd she'd put the baby back into this taba, this ark. And then she'd go back to her slave labor again. And while she's away, you might, what's gonna happen to the baby? Well, she asked her older daughter, her name is Miriam, to say, hey Miriam, can you just, can you just play by the riverbank and just watch your baby brother? Just, just watch that nothing happens to the basket. And Miriam's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. One day, something happens to the basket. And what happens is this, is that the Pharaoh's daughter, Decides, I'm gonna go to the Nile River. And you know why? Well, I'm not exactly sure why she decides to go to the Nile River, but I think maybe it's because she heard some kind of beauty tip, maybe from Jen Im or some other YouTube beauty specialist who says, you know what? Going to river bathing is like the skin exfoliation method of all, that's the best one all all time. Like, if you wanna exfoliate your skin, go and bathe in a river. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm heading to the Nile. And she goes and she, she bathes in the Nile. She's like, oh, exfoliating it's, it's your skin, bathing in the Nile, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, as she's bathing in the Nile, she sees this basket at just by the riverbank. And she's like, what's that? And then she says, one of the servants, hey, can, can you go check that out? And the servant girl, she goes, she grabs the basket, brings it over to her. She's floating on the water. And she hears crying from the, from the basket. She opens the basket. And all of a sudden, she's like, I'm like oh my goodness. It's a baby, it's one of the Israelite babies. It's one of the Israelite baby boys. And all of a sudden, her heart just melts for this baby as he's crying in the basket. And you know, you might be like, "Where's Miriam? Where's the, where's the older sister? What was she doing?" Well, you know, it could have been that she saw it, that the basket was too heavy for her to take out of the riverbank, or maybe it was too late because everyone else had noticed. In any event, Miriam does something really smart to make up for it. You know what she does, she runs up to Pharaoh's daughter, and she says something really smart. She says, "Hey, Pharaoh's daughter." Can, can I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, please do. So, so, so Miriam, she runs to her mom. She runs back home. She says, mom, mom, they have him. They have our baby. They have him. And she says, what? What? And, and they think this is the end. They think it's over. And so and so they, they run together and they're trying to be as calm and composed as possible, and they don't know what to say. They're, they're probably rehearsing in their mind what to, how to answer this, the questions. But all the Pharaoh daughter, Pharaoh's daughter says is, is this your baby? And can you nurse this baby for us? I'll pay you to nurse this baby. Could you please? And, and after he gets older, after he's weaned, I'll take him in to my home at the royal palace and I'll take care of him and he can become my son. And you know, as a result of that whole process, this baby boy has a protection on his life that no other baby boy in Israel ever had. As a result of all that happened, this baby boy now has a special order of protection on his life from a member of the Egyptian royal family saying that this baby can now be with his mom, there's no need to hide anymore. And when this order was put down, when this child got older, Pharaoh's daughter takes him into the royal palace of Egypt, makes him her son. She calls him the name Moses, which means I drew him out because he was drawn out of the water. And see, Moses, he would grow up in the palace of Egypt. He would receive the best education Egypt could offer, the best protection that Egypt could offer, the best provision that Egypt had to give. And see, what's the lesson here? Is that if you're going through hard times, you gotta know this, God is still in control. And that God is greater than your situation. See, in this COVID-19 season, you might feel like Moses' mom. You might think, you know, here I am, with my limited resources, my finite wisdom. And I'm doing everything that I can to survive right now. I'm doing everything I can to, to do my slave labor for my company. And then I, I also have this family to take care of. And maybe like Moses' mom, you, you sometimes wish you could take your kid and put them in a basket somewhere and just maybe leave them outside just for a moment, just for a moment, so you can just focus on your slave labor. Am I making sense in any way right now? And, 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 and then, But then that baby keeps crawling out of the basket, going, Mom, I'm bored. Lord. Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I need help. And you're like, "Oh my goodness, I'm becoming a basket case. I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind." And see, if that's you, you got to know this. You're not the only one taking care of your little one. You're not. You know who is? God is taking care of your little one. God is watching over your family. God is watching over your kids. God is watching over you with his infinite wisdom and his infinite resources. And so you're not alone taking care of your baby. You're not alone just trying to survive on your own strength. God is in control and God is greater than your situation. Oh, come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand. Wherever you're watching the service right now, praise God. God is in control. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God is in control. God is in control. And see, Instead of going into the Nile River to die like all the other Israelite boys, Moses would go into the Nile River and he would come out alive. And it's almost like a baptism, isn't it? It's like a baptism. Moses went into the water a slave. He comes out of the water a prince. And see, notice something else. Just as Moses was destined to drown in the Nile River, he was rescued by someone from Egypt's royal family So the Bible says each and every one of us was destined to drown in the river of our sin. But someone from God's royal family came and heard our cry. He had compassion on us he stepped into the same river that we were in baptized into the same situation we found ourselves in and he drew us out and he saved us from certain destruction why because he could he's god's royal family member his name is jesus christ the son of god the prince of heaven amen And see, just as Pharaoh's daughter named Moses, you know, gave him the name Moses, you know, adopted her into his royal, into adopted his royal family, gave him a new home, a new name, a new identity. In the same way, Jesus Christ adopted you and me into His royal family. He gave us a new name, a new home, a new identity, and He raised us up for a new destiny with a new protection on our lives, saying, "Never again will this child be harmed anymore. Never again will this child be at risk." anymore. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here, this place right now, wherever you're watching this service. Come on and do that together right now. Amen. You know, decades later, Moses, he's now this well-educated, powerful royal official in Egypt, but for some reason, his heart is still drawn to the Israelites it still breaks his heart. Every time he sees the Israelites suffering as slaves, every time there's injustice, it breaks his heart. Every time someone suffers, it breaks his heart. And there's even this one time when he sees this Egyptian and he's beating an Israelite slave. And the Bible says, glancing here and there, Moses went and he killed the Egyptian on behalf of the Israelite. And this is the thing, now having committed murder, now looking like he's siding with the Israelites, Moses knows his life is in danger and it's never to me the same. So what does he do? He flees from Egypt, the only home he's ever known. And he goes to a place called Midian. It's a place settled by descendants of Abraham, the father of Israel. And there as a refugee in Midian, Moses starts a brand new life in a brand new place. He meets a shepherd girl called Zipporah. They fall in love. They get married. They have kids. Moses joins the family business. He starts to take care of his father-in-law's sheep. You know, Moses probably felt lost not knowing what he was doing. He's like, oh my goodness, here I am. I used to be second in command in Egypt, overseeing these huge projects. And now here I am in Midian and I'm taking care of someone's sheep. Are you kidding me? He probably felt really lost in this time. But little did Moses know that God was actually using this season of his life to prepare Moses for greater things so that he could be a shepherd for his people, Israel. And see, likewise, if you're going through some hard times, say, where you feel lost about your future, you don't know what's up ahead, and you're kind of wondering, what am I doing even now? Can I tell you this today in your hard time? God is preparing you for something greater. And first, though, he needs to take you out of that comfort zone that you've known so well, not because he's cruel to you, because he's training you, He's stretching you. He's developing muscles you didn't even know you had so that one day you'll be ready for the greater things that God has in store for you. You know, one day, decades later, Moses, he is on Mount Horeb and he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. But he notices something other than the sheep. You know what he notices? He notices this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. And he's like, that's the strangest thing. And he decides, out of curiosity, let me just go check out what that is. It's a bush that's not burning up. And the closer he gets to it, the more he feels the heat of that bush burning. All of a sudden, he senses for the first time in his life, God speaking to him. And God says to Moses, 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 he says him by name. He says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Go, I'm sending you to Egypt to bring them out of there into a land of their own. And at first, Moses, he's a personality. He's kind of skeptical, very detail-oriented, very analytical. He doesn't believe it at first. He's not convinced at first. But God doesn't give up on Moses. Unfortunately, to his credit, Moses doesn't leave or run away. Instead, they continue to dialogue. And eventually, Moses says, okay, what's up with this? And and God actually enables Moses to do a number of supernatural signs that are going to convince the Israelites that God truly is with Moses. And if you want to know what those signs are, you just look at Exodus chapter 3. And not only that, God doesn't just give him signs, but also God gives Moses a teammate. His name is Aaron, it's Moses' brother. And that together they'd be on this mission because that's just God's tendency. He tends to put us in teams, instead of us going on our own. And see, after wrestling with God on this, Moses agrees to go back to Egypt. But first, he needs to talk to his family. And this is where we begin our series today. The pastor we're looking at today is Exodus chapter four, verses 18 to 31 because of time, we're not going to look at the whole passage. We're just going to focus on verses 18 to 26 today. If you want to hear what I have to say about the rest of the passage, you can check out and subscribe for my game-sharing email. But I want you to notice, even as we're looking at this passage today, that over and over, Moses is going to be dealing with different people in this family, different family relationships. First, it's his father-in-law, and then it's his wife, and then it's his kids, and then finally it's his brother. And because of that, what we're talking today is very much surrounding the idea of relationships. And, you know, in this series called Excess Hope for Hard Times, we're not just going to take a topic, and so this is the topic, and here's point one, two, three. In fact, what we're going to do is something a little bit different. We're going to unpack Scripture and just say, okay, what is this verse saying? What can we learn from it? And and still, I need to give this message a title, and so here's the title I'm going to give it today. The title I'm calling today's message is Finding the Missing Piece for Your Home. See, if you find in your home that it's not a very peaceful place right now, maybe it's a very conflict-ridden place, maybe it's a kind of a stressful place, maybe it's not a very happy place right now, if you find that you're all cramped in one house and you're getting on each other's nerves, then I hope you're going to find this message helpful today. I believe that we're going to learn some lessons from today's passage that you're going to find helpful for your relationships, whether it's in your own home or it's with your company or your business or it's your workplace or it's the team that you're on. Let's look at Exodus chapter 4. Verse 18 together right now. What does it say? Read it with me. It says Moses went back to Jethro, his father in law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. See, Moses is going to his father in law. His name is Jethro. He's the priest of Midian. And, you know, he's going to say, I'm going to go back to Egypt on this mission. And notice this, Moses could have taken a very arrogant approach with his father-in-law. He could have said from a work perspective, you know, hey, I was second in command in Egypt. I have seen more money pass through these hands. I have overtaken and supervised bigger projects than you ever will, Dad. He could have said that. He could have said, you know, from an educational perspective, hey, I've got more education in my little finger than you have in your whole head, Dad. He could have said from a spiritual perspective, hey, I know you're the priest of Midian, but who's the one who saw the burning bush, huh? Who's God's chosen servant, huh? He didn't say any of those things. Instead, Moses takes a very humble, respectful approach toward his father-in-law. He says, please, let me go back. And Jethro, his father-in-law, says in return, go in peace. What's the lesson here? Is that if you want the relationships in your home to be peaceful, treat the people in your home with humility and respect. See, in relationships, you're going to find that very often respect begets respect. Disrespect produces disrespect. Is that if you treat people with respect, normally, most of the time, you hope people will treat you back with respect. Disrespect works the same way. Here's a question for you today. When you think about the way you treat the people in your home, when it comes to the way you greet them, or the way you talk to them, or the way you listen to them when they talk, or the way you deal and use their time, or how you acknowledge their feelings, how respectful are you? Do do you come across as arrogant and insensitive and very self-centered, or do you treat that person as if they have independent worth and value, which is what respect is? Could it be that the reason why you don't feel that respected in your home, or in your company, or in your team, is maybe because you don't treat the people around you with respect? Could it be? See, back in high school, I I, I remember, you know, I I was a new Christian, and I just came back from this Christian summer camp, and, you know, felt like I experienced God in some powerful ways. I remember it was, you know, a long camp, and didn't get much sleep, and admittedly a little bit tired. I remember my parents picked me up from the camp, and uh, they were really curious about, you know, how the camp went. They're like, oh, how was the camp? Fine. Did you learn anything? Yeah. What? Nothing. I just, just just didn't really want to talk and and and, and you know that that kind of uh, that that kind of response or that kind of attitude just carried on into dinner. Finally, you know, my mom had enough of it and she's like, so what did you learn at this camp? How to disrespect your parents? And I was like, oh. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I realized something that day is that your ministry, your worship actually begins at home. It begins with the people who are closest to you. Because a happy home is built on humility and respect. A happy company is built on humility and respect. A happy team is built on treating one another with humility and respect. I know that sometimes we have this tendency to treat people outside that we don't know very well super well. We're so polite. We're so courteous. We're so prompt. We're so punctual. We're all those things. And yet, when it comes to the most important relationships in their lives, we treat them a lot less than that. But see, your ministry begins at home. And, you know, if, if you are someone who struggles with treating people with respect or, you know, struggles with humility, I want to have a, a suggestion for you today is that, you know, a, there, there, there's a couple messages from a, a, a series we did about three years ago called Sweeter Than Honey. One message is called The Respect Revolution. And the other one's called the, the power of humility. And there we talk about some very practical ways that you can learn to treat the people around you, especially in your home, with humility and respect. And, and so I want to encourage you to check that out. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I want to treat you with respect. I want to treat you with respect. Because if you want your relationship at home to be peaceful, you want peace in your home, you got to learn to treat the people in your home with humility and respect. If you believe that, say amen. Look at verse 19 with me right now. What does it say? It says, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Notice this is God's protection once again. Verse 20, so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Notice that Moses, he's involving his family in his ministry and what he's doing. He doesn't just kind of separate those things, but he actually involves them. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that i have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, you might be wondering, well, that's strange. See, verse 21 talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. See, does God really harden people's hearts? Does he? If so, how can God hold people responsible for rejecting him when he's the one doing the hardening? Isn't it his fault? Well, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come, but, but let me give the short answer. Does God really harden people's hearts? Yes, he does, but not until after they've already hardened it themselves. See, here's the thing. You will never meet any person who had no choice in the matter of God. That they had no choice but to hold up a closed fist before God. You will never meet anyone like that. Every single one of us gets to choose how we're gonna respond to God. Am I gonna respond to God with a closed fist or with an open hand. And see, here's the thing. If we persistently come to God with a closed fist, and we say, I have, don't want anything to do with you, I don't even believe in you, I don't want anything to do with what your word has to say, if you come with, to God with a closed fist for a long enough time, there will come a day when God, say, when God will no longer give you the grace to open your hand, because God will be, he's already decided. And so that's why we need to open up to God while we still can, before it's too late. If you believe us, say amen. Turn your and say, open up to God. Open up to God. Now, we get to the strangest part of Exodus 4. You guys ready? You know, my wife Charlene, she cut my hair and my son's hair, as I mentioned earlier. Here, we're going to look at what Moses' wife Zipporah does. She cuts something else belonging to her sons. And, oh my goodness, let's take a look at it right now. Drop down to verse 24. Get ready for this. Verse 24, it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Who's him? It's Moses. Wait, wait. Why does God want to kill Moses? Doesn't God want to use Moses? Didn't God just call Moses? What's going on? Oh, let's keep reading. Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint, which is a knife, and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let her alone. Who's that? God let Moses alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What? What in the world is this? What is, what is going on here? Let's talk about it right now. See, this passage is actually talking about circumcision. Now, if you're wondering what circumcision looks like, uh, there's a video we have. Where, I'm kidding. No video. No video of circumcision. No demonstration. No volunteer, okay? Uh, no diagrams. Kids, if you're wondering what circumcision is, please ask your parents. Sorry, parents, okay? And, and here's the thing, is that suffice to say, without going into details of what circumcision actually looks like, you ought to know this. Back in Moses' time... It was required that every Israelite... Ba- male, every Israelite baby boy should be circumcised as a sign of God's covenant with the people of Israel. Covenant meaning a formal, loving relationship. And see, G- Genesis 17, 10 to 14 says it this way. See, this is God commanding Abraham, who's the father of the Israelites. And God says to Abraham this, he says, read it with me. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin Before Moses even lived, God established a covenant, a formal loving agreement with the Israelites, saying that at eight days old, every Israelite male baby boy would be circumcised as a sign of this special covenant relationship with God. And here's a question Is circumcision something that Christians need to practice today? Praise God, it's not. Praise God. I'm so thankful that here at Thrive Church, we do not have circumcision services. Aren't you glad? Oh my goodness. I, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. I now circumcise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ah! Right. Could you imagine that? Praise God we don't do that. And so here's the thing. Why don't we do that? Why don't we as Christians practice circumcision, even though it talks about it in Genesis 17? Why is it that Jesus in the New Testament never tells his followers to get circumcised? Why is it that over and over the New Testament talks about you know how circumcision is not necessary? Let me tell you why. It's because circumcision was a Jewish requirement. But if you're not Jewish, but you believe in Jesus Christ, the sign of your new covenant relationship with God is not circumcision, it's something called baptism. It's baptism. In fact, look at Colossians chapter 2, 11 to 12 with me. And this is Paul, who used to be the most anti-Christian guy, but then he encounters Jesus in a powerful way that turns his life around. He becomes one of the most prolific missionaries of all time. And this is what he writes to a church of non-Jewish Christians who are not circumcised in the flesh. He says this to them. He says in verse 11, in him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried With him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. See, in other words, even if you've never been physically circumcised, if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized, that's the equivalent of Jesus having circumcised you, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And see, for Christians, baptism is the new circumcision. And so if you raised your hand at an Easter service last week, or just recently, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, said, Jesus, forgive me my sins, then guess what? Your next step is to be baptized. There's no reason to be scared of it because baptism is not a graduation. It's not saying, oh, I'm a perfect Christian. Got no more questions. I've read the Bible backwards and forwards. You know, I've been to church for 10 years. No, it's it's about saying it's a beginning. Baptism is you saying I am a sinner, I know I need a savior, and I believe that the savior is Jesus Christ. That's all that baptism is saying. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ even last week and you raise your hand, then guess what? Then you can get baptized. In fact, that's your next step. In fact, we got some pictures of people who just got baptized at our last baptism service. And and here's the thing that we I can't wait until we're all back in the same site again where we can get baptized, we can do baptisms the way we normally do. You might be wondering, well, in this COVID-19 season, how are we going to baptize people? Well, what we'll do is we're going to do a virtual sprinkling baptism where what you do is you put your hand, you put your head against the, 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 the screen, and I'm going to throw water at the camera. I, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding about that. I'm totally kidding about that. All right? Um, if you're interested in getting baptized, I believe there's a way that we can do it safely. Uh, and if you're interested in getting baptized in this COVID-19 season, go to mythought.info, click on baptism sign-up. We'd love to get in touch with you about Baptism. But here's the the thing. What's going on with Moses? Moses is an Israelite. And as the head of his household, Moses is responsible for making sure that his sons were circumcised. That's his responsibility. That's his duty as the dad. But he never does it. And that's a problem integrity for a leader is that if you are telling people to follow God but you're not following God in the most basic way then how can you possibly lead them? It's like a pastor who says I refuse to get baptized myself but you get baptized. And see, so that's the thing is that it was a question of integrity. Not just that. The Bible says that God is a holy God. That God is so holy that sin cannot stand in his presence. That God is so holy and just that anything with sin would perish in his sight. That's how holy God is. But because Moses failed to meet God's requirement Moses had sinned. And according to God's law, if you sin against God, the penalty is death. As we looked at last week, the wages of sin is death. And so what did Moses' wife, Zipporah, do? Read it with me in the NIV version now. Verse, f- verse 25 and 26 says this. Read it with me. It says, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. You know, um, earlier today, because I, I wanted to use a prop today, and so uh, I, I grabbed a knife from the kitchen, uh, and then I went up to my assistant Amy's room, and, and it was a weird image. I, I walked into her room, and I, I, I went in with the knife this way, and I'm like, hi, Amy. And so, oh! She's like, "What are you doing? I, 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 can you can you put this on the coffee table that I preach on uh, later on today?" It was, "Oh, okay." And, and that's just a weird image. But, but see, I brought this knife to illustrate. See, see, what what was what was Zipporah doing? I'm gonna put the knife now. Now, see, what, what 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 is what was Zipporah doing? B- by the way, wouldn't this be a cool cover image for this uh, this sermon called you know uh, like you know finding your finding your missing piece for your home? The right? See, but here's the thing. Here's the thing is that. What is Zipporah doing? When Moses failed to meet the requirements of the law, Zipporah stepped in and fulfilled the requirements of the law for Moses. And then what does she do? She takes this bloody, gross foreskin of her son and she touches Moses' feet with it so that the blood of the son is on Moses. It was Zipporah's way of saying, hey, God, look, Moses did it. He did it. The blood is on him. She's, what she's doing? She's saying, I, I'm going to do this on his behalf so that Moses can seem as though he has fulfilled God's requirement. And in so doing, was God satisfied with that? He was satisfied with it. Verse 26 says, so the Lord left him alone. And see, can I tell you this today? What Zipporah did for Moses is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us is that when we had failed to meet the requirements of God's law, when we deserve death for our sin, Jesus Christ stepped in and he fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. He lived the perfect life that no one else could live, a life that only God in the flesh could live. And then what did he do? Then he died on the cross. He took the shed blood that he shed from his body and he covered us with his blood. He washed our feet in the ocean of his love and he said, hey, they did it. They did it. They fulfilled the requirements. And and the blood, the blood is on them. And see, as a result, God's wrath, just as it was turned away from Moses, it was turned away from us. As a result, we get God's favor instead of God's wrath. And see, when Zipporah says to Moses, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. See, scholars disagree on whether she meant it as a joke or she meant it as an insult, like kind of you bloody husband, right? Or, Or as a formal statement. But what is clear is this, is that through Jesus Christ's shed blood, we became the bride of Christ, and Jesus became our bridegroom of blood. Amen. Don't you love how the Old Testament points us to the New Testament? And it's, it's one of those things where over and over we're going to see it, is that the Old Testament is actually a picture of the New Testament, what Jesus Christ is going to do. And what's the lesson in all of this? The lesson is this. If you want to find the missing piece in your home, Ask God to forgive you of your sins through Jesus Christ. See, one final lesson from the passage today. We're going to give you an opportunity, if that's you, if you realize that there's sin in your life, if you realize there's certain ways that you haven't met God's requirements, then I'm here to tell you, there's provision made for you. It's done by Jesus Christ. And we want to give you an opportunity to receive that forgiveness in just a moment. But here's one final lesson from the passage today. See, notice that Zipporah, she uses this this little knife, this flint, to circumcise her son's foreskin. You know, when my wife was cutting um, our hair, especially Caleb, my two-year-old, his hair, she was super careful, super gentle. You know, she, she, she took Caleb outside onto our patio. She strapped him in the high chair, uh, put a bib around him, a smock around him, and then she did something that she doesn't normally do. She gave him a phone. And she's like, this is the only screen time you'll ever get, ever, okay, here we go. So she's gonna, she, and, and so she's, he's like, oh my goodness, wow. And, and, and he's, he's, he's very focused, super focused. And as he's, as he's watching the screen, you know, Charlene is super careful. Going, and he got a really good haircut. But because it was, because her mom, his mom was gentle and careful in applying the scissors to his hair. And see, why do I mention that, that? Say you're Zipporah, and you need to circumcise your son. You've got this flint knife in your hand. Let me ask you, how gentle would you be? Even more gentle with that part of the body, right? Stay still. Don't move. Just watch the iPhone. Watch. Keep watching. Don't look. Don't look down. Didn't See, why do I mention that? It's because the Bible describes itself like a knife that deals with our flesh. Not our physical flesh, but our desire. The flesh is our desire to do things our way, not God's way. And Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, the word of God is described as a flint knife, as a sword. And if you want to find the missing piece in your home, if you find that the relationships in your home are just not that peaceful, there's another lesson we can learn from Exodus 4 today. Apply the flint called the word of God to the people in your home gently. Everyone say gently. Gently. See, in other words, the Bible is a sharp and powerful knife that is useful for dealing with our flesh. That's our self-centered way of living. It's useful for helping us in our relationships and figuring that out. But because it's sharp, because it's so powerful, You need to be gentle with it you don't want to beat people on the head with it you want to apply it gently carefully in a way that meets their need if you believe that say amen and see when you teach the bible for example to the people in your home if you don't want to just go over their heads but you want to go straight to their heart you want to find appropriate ways age appropriate ways to teach the bible to your children So, for example, this past Easter, uh, to help my two-year-old Caleb kind of understand the meaning of the cross and how Jesus, he died and he rose again, you know what I did? Um, Can I show you? I'm not a great cartoonist. I'm not a good drawer. You know, fine arts has never been my specialty, but I I call this picture uh, Gone and Back gone and back and see Caleb he loves vehicles he loves cars he loves planes boats all this stuff so I decided okay we're just gonna we're just gonna illustrate Jesus right, his death and his resurrection through something called gone and back I say hey Caleb see there's a car and it goes over the mountain and it's gone but then it goes back over the mountain and it's back hey Caleb there's a plane it goes behind a cloud and it's gone but then it comes out of the cloud and it's back there's another one where there's there's a boat and say hey Caleb there's a boat and it goes behind an iceberg and it's gone but then it comes out of the iceberg and it's back hey Caleb this is Jesus he goes to the cross and then to a tomb and he's gone but then he comes out of the tomb and he's back amen gone and back and and you know after that I, I asked Caleb give him a little test I was like hey Caleb Where's the cross? Hey Caleb, where's Jesus? And I was like, yes! See, what is that? That's learning to deal with the Word of God, which is like a flint knife, gently, so that it reaches people's hearts. And see, maybe you're a parent in this place and you're trying to think, how do I teach my, my kid you know, the Bible? Can I suggest? You know, maybe they're two, three years old. Don't just start looking. Uh, let's read uh, Second Chronicles right now, verse four says. You know, I, I, I want I want you to think. How, what's a gentle way that I can apply the Word of God to my son's life, to my daughter's life? What's an age-appropriate way? See, if you want to find the missing piece in your home, you want to apply the Word of God gently, persistently, and with patience. See, you know, parents, I, I want to encourage you. Is you wanna you wanna to try to have you know, some kind of way that you're building the word of God into your life. In fact, you know, this week, if you look at our Facebook page at Thrive, uh, we're gonna we're gonna provide some resources, some ways that Pastor Charlene and I, some, some resources that we really like uh, that you can give to your kids to help them get more of God's word into their heart. Some things that we've tried, some ways that we've failed, but also some resources that we think are really good. And so make sure you check out our Facebook page later. I encourage you to try having a family game time. In fact, that's something we've started doing recently and it's been awesome. It's even just five minutes. I'll play a bit of the guitar. We'll all sing a song a fun children's song, you know, then Caleb will take the Bible, he'll pass it to Bradley, our older son, and then Bradley will open up, he'll read a passage, and then Pastor Shara will say, so what did we learn from today? And then Bradley will say something, I might say something, you know, Caleb one day will hopefully say something, and then we all pray together, and it's done. And it's this is a powerful way to have time together in the same home, since we're all together anyways, we might as well spend time together, praying together in the Word of God together, if you believe us, say amen. Every night before we go to bed, I'll take Caleb in my arms. And I see you, this with Bradley. Now I just put his, I, I just I just lie beside him and we'll pray this prayer. We'll say, dear God, thank you that Caleb and Bradley are happy, healthy, wise, strong, loving, obedient to God, obedient parents, and brave. May they continue to grow in all these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we'll lay him down in the crib if it's Caleb. I'll say, good night, Bradley. Mwah. Love you. And he'll go to bed. And what is that? Little gentle ways to allow the Word of God to start settling into the hearts of the people in your home. Maybe you're dealing with someone who's a lot older than you, and you're like, I can't do those things. Maybe it's give them a gift on their birthday, and maybe you can write a card that says something like, you know, in Proverbs, you know, parents are the pride of their children. You're you're just, you're just planting a seed. You're applying the Word of God gently. You're not thumping them on the head going, believe now! But you're saying, here's the Word of God and how it's changed my life, and this is it for you too. Praise God. When you apply the word of God gently to your life and to the lives of the people at your home, the result is you find your missing piece. Have you learned something in this place today? I hope you have. Had such a great time with you in Exodus 4. We look forward to even more to go and even more to learn in this book called Exodus. But let's do this right now. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching this service, why don't you just bow your heads with me right now as we pray. See, today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we've been learning about a whole bunch of things, about relationships, about finding your missing piece. And one of the points of today's message was that if you want to find your missing piece, that the most important piece is the peace that comes from knowing that you're forgiven of your sins, knowing that you have a relationship with God, not because of your spiritual resume, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. And if you realize today that there is sin in your life that you need God's forgiveness for, I want to encourage you right now to pray a prayer, and come to God, not with a closed fist, but with an open hand. If you realize today that you need God's forgiveness for sin, maybe something you said this morning, something you did last night, maybe a whole history of stuff from your past, then I encourage you to respond to God right now. Just wherever you are, not worrying about your neighbor or anyone else, why don't you just lift your hand to God as just an expression of your sincerity and as an expression of you saying, God, I need your forgiveness today. Why don't you just lift your hand to God. Just lift your hand to God right now. Wherever you are, let the height of your hands reflect how much you need Him today. And why don't you pray this prayer with me right now. We say, dear Jesus, thank you so much that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You poured out your blood and you covered me so that I could be forgiven. Right now, I ask you to come into my life, forgive me my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I'm loved by you forever, always, for eternity. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven and the best is yet to come. And in fact, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, we've actually got a a special gift to give you. There's actually a little uh, button and you've maybe already pressed it, but could you press raise your hand? If you don't see the button, you can text uh, to 604-285-5770, the word believe, and we will link you up to that special gift that we'd love to give you to encourage you in your relationship with God. And on top of that, if you prayed that prayer today or you prayed this prayer recently, but you haven't gotten baptized, I'll encourage you to consider getting baptized. It's your next step. It's not a graduation. It's just a beginning. Encourage you to sign up for that as well. Go to mythought.info and sign up for baptism there. I'm going to invite Marcy to come up and lead us in a song. Carmen's going to play on the keyboard, and we're just going to give God this time to worship him because he is worthy. Let's give God all of our praise in this place as we worship together. In this service, would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? In your chat room, would you just shout to God? In your room, would you just shout to God? In your car, would you shout to God? Wherever you're in the world, you're watching this service right now. Oh, come on, give God your praise, give God your thanks. He's worthy of it all. Amen. Today, we've been talking about finding the missing piece for your home, and we've been learning today that finding the peace that you need for your home starts with how we treat one another with humility and respect. It's about learning to apply God's word in gentle ways to our lives. Of course, it's about having a relationship with Jesus ourselves so that we can have the ultimate peace that overflows into the lives of other people. But with every head and every, uh, every every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God right now. And if you realize today that your home could use a lot more of God's peace, you realize today that your home could use a lot more of God's love and God's presence, then I want to encourage you to respond to God right now. I want you to lift your hands to God as an expression of how much you need Him today. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need Him let the height of your hands reflect your worship and praise. Let the height of your hands reflect you surrendering. Maybe an issue that's in your life that you don't have a solution for, but you can give it to God today because He's in control and He's greater than your situation. He's greater than marriage problems. He's greater than infertility. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than COVID-19. He's greater than uncertainties about the future. He's greater than issues regarding people that you have hurt you in the past. He's greater than every situation you may be facing today. And so, I want you to lift your. Your hand as an expression of surrendering your life to him today and just in your own words just start talking to God from your heart in your own words just start talking to God don't wait for me to stop talking you just start responding to God he's here he's listening just worship God in this place today don't let this moment pass by don't come to God with a closed heart come to him with an open heart today open up your hand to God lift your heart to him today just start talking to God today ask for God's peace to fill your heart ask for God's peace to fill your home ask for God's power to heal and to restore and to protect and to fill once again we'll just start talking God right now to start talking to God right now that's it just do that right now from your heart in your own words start talking to God today thank you Jesus thank you Father praise you God thank you Jesus hallelujah thank you God thank you Jesus thank you Father praise your name thank you God thank you Jesus thank you Lord Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Why don't you pray this prayer with me, those of you who want more of God's peace to fill your home. Why don't you pray this today? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are in control and you are greater than every challenge I am facing today. So I ask you right now, as I open up my heart, fill my home with more of your peace. I ask you, God, to help me to treat the people in my home with humility, with respect, with love the way you treat me. I ask you, God, to help me to apply your word in a gentle, wise, loving, effective way into the lives of the people I live with, the people I work with, the people I serve with that your love would fill my relationships and your missing peace would fill my world. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now, wherever you are? Oh, come on, would you shout so loud? I can, even, I can even hear you here in this place. Praise God. Let me just pray for you right now really quick. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you so much for every single person that's here. Thank you that you know the plans you have for them plans to prosper them and not to harm them plans to give them hope and a future thank you that you died on the cross because you love them so much with an everlasting, unconditional unlimited, unchanging love that doesn't come and go but is always there for them and I pray Father God for those right now who are going through some tough times at home Father God thank you that you are not afraid of their problems, you are not distant from their problems but you are right there with them more than they even know and that when they feel like with their own limited resources they can only do so much. Thank you, God, for reminding them today that God is in the house, that God is right there with them, and that you will give them everything they need to have healthy relationships in their home. You'll give them everything they need for their future as they look to tomorrow, that you will not abandon them to the grave. You won't let your, see your Holy One see decay, but you're going to allow them to find everything they need as they trust in you and seek you first. And so we thank you today. We lift them in your hands and say because Jesus Christ died and rose again. The best is yet to come. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, come on. Give God one more big shout in this place together right now. Praise God. Well, what an amazing time we've had with you today to worship together. As we close off our service, a couple things we're going to do. First off, if you call Thrive Church your Home Church or you just believe in the work that God is doing here, I want to encourage you to give your faithful tithes, your generous offerings. Knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And not only does he add everything we need, but he builds his church through us as well. And so let's remember our church. Let's give generously. We don't have offering plates to pass on to you, but you can go to mythrive.info and give online there. And that's it from me. That's it from our team. A big thank you to all of our team today. both on and off the stage, our online hosts as well. Back, speaking of online hosts, we're gonna send it back to Kathy today. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everybody. We love you, God loves you, praise God. The best is yet to come. Have a great Sunday, everybody. We love you guys.
0: Thank you, Pastor Jv, for the powerful message. Before I let you guys go today, I have a few announcements. If you are new to Thrive, you are a VIP, so text NEW at 604-285-5770 and we will mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel Water Bottle. And if you receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package prepared especially for you that we will mail directly to your home. Just text Believe at 604-285-5770. Join us again next week as we continue our new message series, Exodus, Hope for Hard Times. And do you know what's perfect for hard times? is staying connected to a community. Small group is the perfect way for us to stay connected to one another. So sign up on mythrive.info slash online. So that's it for today. Thank you all for joining us. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings. And we'll see you again next week here at Thrive Church Online. Bye!